Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome back to another episode of Stabby Snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. It is I, one of your hosts, Jessica. And as always, I am joined by my better podcasting half, Tara. Hey, Spooksters. Today we're going to be talking about Eric Frien. And here's the reason why I chose this particular case. It's from 2014. So it's not necessarily in the news right now because there's not much in the news besides like one topic right now. But... I actually just got a new job. Yay! Yay! (laughs) I was thinking about the last time I started a new job where I didn't know anyone. Because the previous company I just worked for, I knew pretty much most of the staff when I started. And when I started at the Home Builder in 2014, I didn't know a single person there. And that's really scary because it's like a big office. There is like 60 people in that office. And there's like 100 people in this new office I'm starting. And... I was really nervous and I do see I am an outgoing person, but it's really kind of hard. It's really hard for me to make my first friend someplace. I know that sounds weird. It takes me a minute to like get used to people enough to to like get your stride. Yeah. Yeah. To get my stride. So this crime happened literally like the same week I started working and (laughs) this guy walks up to me and said and mind you he's like an upper level manager too and he walks up to me and goes hey have you heard about this shooter back east and I was like no and so I googled it and then every day he comes in he'd come in after me and his name is Dan Huertes and he is an amazing human being with an amazing family (laughs) I love him so much he's great his daughter has swindled me out of hundreds of dollars of Girl Scout cookies throughout our friendship but that's neither here nor there Uh, (laughs) Maybe not hundreds, but certainly about a hundred. So every day he'd come in and be like, what's the latest? And I would tell him what I got in and I Googled that morning. And I remember the day that they caught him, he wasn't at work. And so I was like, ah, I can't tell him. And I remember (laughs) I like wrote on his post-it note and stuck it on his monitor that says they got him. So he came in the next day and he saw it. And so that was pretty great. (laughs) And he and I had a very fun friendship to the point where like I would go into his office and like move stuff around. (laughs) I'd move stuff around and then like he'd come in and this is the type of person he was. He's not forgetful by any stretch of the imagination, but he would just assume he did it. (laughs) And then the last little bit of me working there, we had these like 60th anniversary pins, like magnet lapel pins that they handed out to everyone. He didn't want his. So he hid it in my cubicle and then I would hide it in his office and we would go back and forth. And it was pretty magical. No. (laughs) So in light of me starting a new job and thinking back to that time where I was new and I made my first friend there, I'm doing this particular case. 
On September 12th, 2014, at about 10.50 p.m., during a, sw- a shift change at the Pennsylvania State Police Barracks, it was Troop R, to be precise, in Blooming Grove Township, which is in the Poconos, which is mountainous, mm-hmm. two Pennsylvania State Troopers were shot with a 30 caliber rifle. Corporal Brian Dixon, 38, who was a seven-year veteran of the force, was shot and killed. And Trooper Alex Douglas, 31, who was a 10-year vet, was injured. Four shots were fired within 90 seconds. And here's, like, the crazy thing about this. I don't know too much about guns. Like, I know, point, go, boom. I'm actually not a terrible shot. I grew up in the country. My dad had guns. My brother had guns. I learned self-defense with a gun early on. Because, as Tara knows... I lived out in the middle of nowhere, and once I became a high school student, my parents would let us stay home by ourselves. And it wasn't necessarily just for, like, people attacking, but there was a lot of wildlife that might attack our animals, because I lived on a farm. So I was taught how to, like, fire over things to, like, protect livestock and stuff like that. Not necessarily at the actual animal, but enough to, like, scare it away. Mm-hmm. But I do know that the longer the range of shot, the harder it is to be accurate. Mm-hmm. The shot or the distance that these were shot from was 82 yards, which is roughly around 246 feet. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, it's really far. So because this area, it was a kind of a rural, quiet town, um, it just sent a shockwave throughout the entire area, the entire county. And people didn't know what to think of it. It was really kind of a scary time that this happened and to happen against law enforcement. And so they immediately began searching. And on September 15th, 2014, which is three days later, a man was out walking his dog and they found an abandoned 2001 Jeep Cherokee, which is in like kind of a tactical green color, like an army green. And it was abandoned in a pond. So it looked like someone had tried to like drive it into the pond and it was more mud than water. So like that part wasn't really well thought out. And it was near the Blue Heron Estates, which I'm assuming is kind of like a residential area. Mm-hmm. The Jeep was registered to the friends. And when they went and looked inside the vehicle, they found an ID for an Eric Frien. He was 31 years old. And this gave the authorities a suspect to start looking for. The IDs that they found were a driver's license, social security card, and hunting license. A friend would say later that he was skeptical that it was actually Eric who had done this because it seemed weird that there would be like a social security card. Like who carries like I don't carry my social security card with me. Do you? Mm -mm. No. I mean, unless you're going someplace where you need your social security card. Right. So on September 16th, 2014, Eric Matthew Frian was named the main suspect. What? helped solidify him as a suspect was that a piece of evidence that linked him to the actual crime scene was they found the same 30 caliber shell casings in the car which was used to shoot the officers so the same because you know guns have that like i don't know i watch too many shows so like (laughs) it's like hard to know what's real and not (laughs) right like it's like i watch bones and they're like every gun has a a signature mark. And I really want to believe that because that would make everything so easy. <laughs> but I don't know things. So a little bit of history on Eric. So Eric Matthew Frian was born May 3rd, 1983. He attended Pocono Mountain East High School. He was a top scorer in his school's rifle team, which my high school had a rifle team. I don't know. Did yours? No. I'm take that meme to heart now because... <laughs> 
obviously. We had a rifle team and yours didn't, so we were more redneck than yours. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. We also had a, a bigger school, so, you know, different things. True. He was a self-taught survivalist, which when they say self-taught, he's not quite bad as those people on, like, preppers. It was more like he was an Eagle Scout for one. And my husband is an Eagle Scout. I believe your husband is an Eagle Scout as well. And they literally, like, take these kids and they're like, here, go survive in the wilderness for three days. Bye. Which seems super scary. I don't know how you talk parents into that. Like, I mean, if the kids want to go do it, they're going to go do it. So it's true. So he just took some like extra training, like I think like kind of like online YouTube kind of looking at, you know, campsite survival things. Mm -hmm. He was also vocal and held a weird grudge against law enforcement, which kind of, in my opinion, contradicts Eagle Scout because that's one of the things they teach you in Scouts is to like obey the law of the land and respect those who kind of enforce it. And he was vocal on this on MySpace, which is weird because I'm thinking like 2014. The world had clearly moved to Facebook. I think the last time I used my MySpace was like in 2010. And I was probably one of those hanger honor type girls. Like, I'm going to use my MySpace still. <laughs> but he used like a fake name, which was like, Siberian or something or some sort of Scandinavian-esque. I'm not 100% sure. And that was his name on there. He had actually been in the trouble with the law a couple of times, but the big one was in 2004. He was arrested for burglarizing vendors at a World War II reenactment, which either means you're like stealing actual World War II memorabilia or you're stealing replicas of it. And he was also one of those people who did reenactments. His favorite was Vietnam, which I did not realize there were Vietnam reenactments. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, I definitely knew there were Civil War reenactments. Right. That's like the only one I knew of, really, to be honest. I actually had a middle school teacher who participated in them. Oh, okay. Yeah. He would do that and then our school would go and like watch him. Oh, that's fun. Get you out of school because of a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, some of the students were allowed to, like, go and participate. I never did. I've done other weird things, so. <laughs> so that's a little bit about him. So you kind of get this picture that he's very comfortable with guns. He's very kind of comfortable with combat or war-type situations. He is a top scorer in rifle, kind of, like, sniping. And he's a survivalist, so now that he's on the run from the police, it's kind of basically in his wheelhouse. On September 18th, 2014, Eric was added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Mm. In fact, if you look at his wiki page where like there's a picture, it's actually the picture of him on the FBI, but it says captured. Oh, okay. And if you look at that picture, he looks like a clean cut, you know, software salesman. Mm. The investigation became harder because... Eric was playing a cat and mouse game with the police. So like he would pop up places and they could see him from like a significant distance is something they said on September 30th is that they had several sightings of him at a significant distance. And because it was like extremely wooded area and like the terrain was rough, he had the advantage because he knew it so well. Because mind you, all of this is within five miles of his home. Hmm. One of the things the wiki page said is that he had told his parents that he was going off to like work for this company 
so he'd be gone for long periods of time. And they believe that that was never true, that he was actually just going out into the wilderness and setting up different campsites. So like I said, everything is within five miles of his house, including like his parents' house, because I think he was living with his parents at the time. So they would they'd get to him and they'd find campsites. And at the campsites, they'd find journals, Siberian cigarettes, soiled diapers. Ew. Mm. Pipe bombs. The journals were handwritten and had a firsthand detailed account of the killing of Corporal Brian Dixon. So they obviously were like, okay, this is definitely connected. Mm -hmm. The soiled diapers, I know like Dara's face was like, oh God, is because he was literally sitting in places for like hours at a time. Mm -hmm. If not like a full day, like he would get into a location and just sit in it. And then he was literally sitting in it. Gross. Right. So gross. Another problem they were about to face was that bow hunting season was about to start. And this was a very popular area. So it was actually on October 1st of 2014. They banned the season. And a lot of people were really upset about it. Like there were a lot of people who were like, this is unfair. But at the same time, the police are searching for someone who's walking around with weapons and they don't know the extent of his weapons. So he could have a bow and arrow. He could have a crossbow. And the police were not going to take any chances. And so I'm pretty sure it was like a dead or alive situation. And I know hunters were upset, but when they kind of explained it to them, they're like, okay, I get it. I'll stay out of the woods. And so over the next couple of weeks, they just see him little bits. Like there's so many times where they almost catch him. Three times they know they've seen him. And then there were other times where they're like, they may have seen him, but they were unsure. But because of where he was, like a lot of times he'd have the advantage because he would see them coming first. So they'd get close enough or they'd get just close enough where he knew he could jump down and run away. So he would do that. And by the time they'd get there, he'd be gone. But on October 18th, Eric was seen up close by a woman who in the interview that they that she does, she does that whole like turn her back to the camera and she's like wearing a hoodie with it up so they can't see her face, which I do get because we don't know. I mean, at one point in time, he turned his cell phone on and tried to make a phone call. So they're not sure if like maybe he turned his cell phone on and like watch news or anything about this or were like they didn't know if he had a place where he could go to watch the news. So I could see why she was like turning around because like he obviously saw her. So she was walking near his old high school and she got within 20 feet of him. She said that she saw a man carrying a rifle in the woods and his face was all muddy. And when she finally like saw who he was and realized she just turned around and ran the other way. Mm, I fucking would too. Bye. Right. Ooh. The police investigation leads them to his computer. They get a clearer picture that he'd been planning this for months, even years. Like I mentioned earlier, how they think that he went off to work, but really what he was doing was setting up these campsites because he had food and he was basically living off of like ramen noodles and tuna. Mm, quite the combo, though. Jesus. Right. I mean, I could see if you ate them separately. Yeah. I don't know about together. Uh. But you have to think, too, it's something you could buy in bulk for pretty cheap and it'll keep. It's true. Makes sense, I guess. Right. So police and law enforcement were, like, still looking. They found several notes that were, like, to them, like, kind of, like, almost, like, catch me if you can type things. And they just kept finding more campsites. And I'm like, this is only, like, a five-mile radius. Like, how are they missing him? But, mm -hmm. but they were in luck because on October 30th, U.S. Marshals spotted him 
and they realized that he didn't spot them back. And so he was just kind of like walking and he was near an abandoned airfield, which someone had said that they'd seen him around an airfield, but they didn't know which one. And this one was the Birchwood Poconos Air Park. So he was just like walking. He was unarmed and the U.S. Marshals surrounded him, approached him, identified themselves. They're like, we are the U.S. Marshals. And Eric went in without complication. And that's when they realized he was unarmed. Then they found the 30 caliber rifle and a pistol and a hanger nearby. A lot of people were like, I don't know why he just gave up. Like he'd been playing this cat and mouse game. My biggest inclination of why he gave up was the fact that he was unarmed. I feel like if he had had a gun, he may have felt like he could have gotten out. Mm -hmm. If you look at like pictures of him like right before he was... He's a little more plumper. That makes sense. Like, it looks like he had lost some weight. It was like over 45 days that they were trying to find him. He basically went without complication, like I said. Ironically, Eric was taken into custody with Corporal Dixon's handcuffs. And they transported him to the actual state trooper barracks where he committed the crime in Corporal Dixon's car. His patrol car, which I think is extremely meaningful when you think about it. Like, this gentleman took this officer's life and they kind of get the last say by saying, you know, you're going to be punished for this. On October 31st, 2014, Eric is arraigned and he's charged with first degree murder and attempted murder. And there he sits for quite some time because this was not a case that they were going to rush. So on April 4th, 2017... The murder trial began. The prosecution basically started from like the second the crime began and detailed everything out. So they're talking like in detail, Corporal Dixon's like wounds that he died from and into like Trooper Douglas and how he was injured and then like the escape. They literally detailed everything out. Well, that lasted for about 15 days, roughly, because you take weekends off and everything. So on April 19th, 2017, a guilty verdict was given. A jury convicted Eric of first-degree murder. One week later, he was sentenced to death by lethal injection. It has yet to be carried out, but I feel like that's just because they have to go through, like, give him a chance to do an appeals process and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. This case, like, one thing I really want to stress is, it's almost, like, beautiful the way they did it. At the end of this case when they were doing the press conference to talk about the verdict and it was like the prosecution and law enforcement, they literally said, we're done talking about Eric. We're not going to talk about him anymore. We're going to talk about Corporal Dixon and we're going to talk about Trooper Alex Douglas. We're not going to talk about the asshole who did all of this to everyone. We want to remember a fallen comrade or member of our family. I've been around a lot of law enforcement, not because I'm a bad person, but just because like... Friends who are in law enforcement and like military personnel. And the reason they call them like brothers in arms, brothers and sisters in arms, is because you really have to trust the people around you and you become like a family. And I think when there's a loss, I, I don't know. I've never like lost, I have lost someone I've worked with, but not one I was ever like super close to. But I think it hits them a little harder. And um, I'm glad that that's the way they chose to handle the end of this because they could have sensationalized this incredibly. They could have kept bringing it up, talking about Eric. They could have talked about his mindset, like how he's off his rocker. But I respect the fact that this community came together and said no more about him. We want to focus on the positive thing, like Trooper Douglas surviving 
being able to go back to work and be able to be a valid member of society. And that's something that I I respect and I um I'm really happy they did. So that wraps up this week's episode. And we will see you back here on Monday for a full episode. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.